1: We've been listening to President Trump uh, wrapping up a news conference here in New York, the president talking uh, about everything from trade deals to China to the House moving forward with a formal impeachment inquiry. He said he supports transparency on whistleblower information, but he is also demanding transparency from the Democrats. He said the timing of the impeachment inquiry announcement yesterday while he was at the U.N., that was all planned on the part of the Democrats. Uh, and he also said that he does not like the precedent of releasing details of calls between the president the president. And foreign leaders. But he did talk about a number of things. This, of course, happening on a day where he also spoke side by side at a bilateral with the president of Ukraine earlier today from the sidelines of the UN General Assembly. Uh, and we saw the markets uh, actually finish up on the day, um, close to the session highs. We saw a sell off in bonds. We got the yields back to 1.74% or thereabouts. We had strength in banks. Uh, And we had strength also in technology. Uh, Let's get to Eamon Javers, who had been at the press conference, actually got the first question into the president. Eamon.
2: Yeah, you know, I I wanted to ask the the president this idea of what the American people should think about this scandal. Should the American people be happy uh, about a U.S. president asking a foreign leader uh, for uh, information about his political rival, and I asked the president that, and I also asked him uh, ultimately, what would you have done if Barack Obama had done this and you had discovered that? The the president, you know, sort of gave a very long answer there, uh, but ultimately didn't defend the principle of American presidents asking for foreign help. Uh, What he did do was talk a lot about uh, his administration. He talked a lot about uh, uh, how well things are going in the economy. The president uh, gives a long answer here, but ultimately uh, not really saying why it is that Americans should want American presidents asking for foreign help uh, in dealing with political issues. He did say his concern is corruption uh, in the Ukraine. It's somebody who uh, said he's very focused on the new Ukrainian president. Uh, who came into office uh, in in an anti-corruption wave, and he said that was one of the things that was on his mind, guys. All
1: right. Uh, Amy, we were listening to your question very carefully. We were listening to the president's answer very carefully and and didn't, can seem to quite connect the two, Um, but thanks for trying Eamon Javers right right there uh, with the president. Let's bring in our traders now. Uh, Pina Jarian, Karen Feynman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We were talking, of course, last night a great deal because of Nancy Pelosi's announcement of the inquiry, the formal inquiry into impeachment. What did you make of the markets' reaction today? Pair that with what has transpired today, because, again, we had two appearances from the president today, one alongside the Ukrainian president.
3: Yeah, well, I think a lot of people will say that today's rally was based on the fact that maybe there's not a lot to, you know, Nancy Pelosi's statements last night, and maybe this impeachment's not going to go very far, maybe it's over before it begins. I don't think it was necessarily that. I think it was more that President Trump at one point today said, We're a lot closer to a deal with the Chinese than the market is giving credit for, that we're getting credit for. You'll be surprised. I'm paraphrasing, Mm -hmm. but that language. To me, that's why the market went up, you know, Dow 180-so points. Now, whether that's true or not, we're going to find out, obviously, over the next couple weeks. I still submit. It's probably no deal. And as a matter of fact, I think Jamie Dimon said the same thing. He doesn't see a deal with the Chinese before the 2020 election. So, again... Do you think this is the right environment to have a VIX, which traded north of 17 yesterday, probably closed in the 15s today? I still think, and by the way, I've thought this for a while, I've been wrong, but I still think in this environment, given this backdrop, the VIX is way too low. It was
1: a risk-off kind of day, we should know. I mean, the VIX was down more than 6%. Uh, yields went back up. We're, we moved probably 10 basis points over the course of the past 24 hours. We had strengthened the regional banks, which were up almost 2%, and we had strengthened a lot of the FANG names, yeah. the big tech uh, well, the tech stocks.
4: I, I think sentiment in the FANG names has gotten a, uh, particularly negative, right. sp- specifically Netflix, and that, you know see that thing snap back 4%. I think if you want to focus on the market action intraday and you want to tie it to um, the commentary about a China trade deal, all you have to do is look at the semiconductor space. The SMH, the ETF that tracks it, had a 3% reversal from its lows early in the morning to closing towards its
1: highs. So this is China.
4: Yeah, I, I think it is China, but I think it's really important remember, you guys had a really good conversation um, on Power Lunch today with Michelle Caruso-Carrera. You're just saying that there's really no incentive now for the Chinese to do a deal, because as long as the impeachment kind of drags out a little bit here, you then you get in the election cycle. And the Chinese just don't have incentive to do a deal right then. So we're going to be going back and forth on these sorts of announcements. But pretty soon they're going to be blunted. They're not going to have the sort of impact that they have on a day like today.
5: Karen? Yeah, I've been thinking that for a while, that, I mean, every time there's some negative news and Trump seems to be somewhat on the ropes, interestingly, that coincides with positive news on the China trade. making situation. progress. You're so I'm very skeptical of that, right? And I actually think part of the rally, there was some very dovish comments um, was it Bullard? Um, and I think that was the second leg up, you know, first coming out of the um, China trade. And then the, I agree with you on the VIX. I'm long VIX. I think the VIX should be higher. There's so many potential things that could happen. Um, but, I mean, today it was sort of an impressive market. It's, it's ironic to me that banks were up and, you know, the, bullet, the, the dovish comments. Right, those I think of as somewhat at odds. Right, we did on see on cutting. Yeah, right. all we, those, saw, we
1: saw steepening of the yield curve. Right, well, with the ten years ri- 10 year rising.
5: And uh, then, interesting, you know, oil down. Oil is almost round tripped. I think, it but we have. But has it? Yeah, okay, I believe. It has does, it, yeah. But we haven't seen whether there's any response yet. I don't know. Is that it? Was that the end of the whole thing? I'm a little skeptical that it was. So, for all those reasons, I, I like. I want to be long volatility. I am, uh, and I think volatility will be higher. And
6: I think it makes sense to be long volatility or at least long some put protection against Mm -hmm. positions that you have on, depending on where the exposure levels are. Are they through the S&P 500? Is it the Nasdaq? Depending on where it is, maybe it's just financials themselves. The volatility is really low. I mean, it's amazingly low, given the backdrop of everything that we've got. Mm -hmm. The one thing I disagree with Dan on would be incentives for the Chinese. Let's be honest. They are suffering over there. Uh, When we look at their numbers, they to to be very, very bad. We talk about decades of go-type numbers that they are sitting on. So, I think that they would like to make a deal, but obviously, with the president and all that's going on now. That is something that's going to be much more difficult to try to figure out is what kind of time frame do we have? Is Jamie Dimon right? that we go all the way through the 2020 elections? Or does something happen? I'm not thinking something's going to happen in October. But I do think that maybe there could be some progress along the way as we get towards the end of the year on to talking about getting something done. And I think more importantly for the Chinese. But I'll tell you what, the Chinese markets today, we had more unusual option buying today in different the ASHR, which is the China oh, no, but 300. Those
4: were like teeny options. They were like October oh, really? 28 and a half calls that were right. buying for 22 cents. Right. Probably but, because of the fact know, that there's still talk about complete. October, today that's
6: not real. Like That's
4: not anything. Okay, okay. Like, okay FXI is
6: another one. 30 plus odd thousand of those being okay. bought to the upside. Well, you're saying okay, but, but, they're but they're just these little... are facts. These are numbers that we see every day. Yeah. You can't deny the numbers. Dude, I'm giving you the numbers. I do
4: options player who would look at somebody buying short dated uh, uh, options for 22 yeah. cents, 10,000 in the clip, and say, that's real Commitment and that's like yo. Know, and
6: some of higher. these are going out to January as well, by the way. Okay. So not everything know, is
4: short term. I, I just disagree. I don't think it's. Per, per, per I'm not impactful. trying to push your buttons. I'm, I'm just, just saying that numbers are there. Okay, fighting. but I, I, listen. I, I think, I think the bigger issue is here. You talk about the VIX at 14 yeah. and a half. It doesn't really matter. It's What's 16. the data that we're okay. talking about here? I,
1: I understand your point, but we have to. What is your bottom line point that you're trying to make? My bottom line is, I think
6: that there's more issues going on with the Chinese themselves right now than us in terms of economic situations. Now, politically, we all know it's focused right on us. And it is amazing to me that we have a 16 VIX right now. That's a 1% move today, or, or each and every single day that we sit at 16. We're getting some massive moves. We talk about volatility being volatile. This has been volatile. Where were we today? We were up, we were down, and then we finished up nearly. That was a huge round trip we had today. People need to expect to see that almost every day, and because of social media and the president that we've got here in the United States.
1: Has your view of the political situation and the impact on the markets, more importantly, what? changed in the past 24 hours, given what President Zelensky of Ukraine said, which was, nobody pushed me to do anything right and what happened this afternoon and, with the and president? And the
3: conversation you had on power lunch i mean what was he going to say he wasn't going to go and sandbag the president of the united states in that forum i don't think it's political suicide clearly there's probably you know i'm sure there are things for him and his people that they want as well again i'm not a political theorist right, it's right, just right. there was no way he was going to say otherwise but to answer your question no not necessarily again I can't believe, well, maybe I should believe it, and this is not a political comment, but I can't believe the Democrats went into this yesterday knowing the political suicide it could potentially be for them and their candidates without having something more than what we just heard today. So I do think this is going to last longer than people And there think. are
1: some today that say that the real, the real uh, casualty will be Joe Biden himself. Yes,
5: yeah. that's what I think. The real casualty could be Joe Biden, in which case that makes a Warren presidency more likely, and that is really... Probably pretty bearish for the stock market. Well, I mean, everything
1: from the war on wealth all the way to health care, right? I mean, we have seen the chart from, from, I believe it was Jeffries where they show when the spread of Warren over Biden, where Warren is leading over Biden, goes wider... The XLV goes lower. Yeah, I, mean, listen, right, I, I
4: think yeah. that you can draw a line back to the 2016 campaign and look at the things why um, Trump was so popular, this populist message, and you can draw that line straight to Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And I think that there's people who actually are in the middle of this. And it, I just don't think it's going to be as negative for the economy um, and for stock market as a lot of people think, because if you think about you know, what, what's going on here, we have global growth slowing. This is what I want to get back to the data. I think you could have a skinny... China trade deal any day now it could be just addressing the trade deficit but doesn't affect the fact that we have global growth slowing you saw the the auto numbers in Germany down 12 percent year-over-year EU auto sales down 3 percent it's not just China you know and the thing about Chinese growth being weak okay and getting worse it reverberates all over the world so if our growth is at two-and-a-half percent or something like that that's not particularly you know fantastic here so I guess my only point is you may get a deal about buying soybeans or buying porkers. Or- it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Substantive. What did we do? Why did we take this pain for the trade war for the last year to do substantive stuff on the technology front? That's the war to be fought going forward. We're not going to get an answer to that anytime See, soon. It's, it's, and that's what Jamie Dimon is saying. And, but
3: what's interesting is what pain, and, and I'm just playing devil's advocate, but what pain have we taken, really, if you think about it? I mean, Because yeah, the tariffs have been delayed or carved tar- out or Things have or been exemption. sort of delayed. Stock markets at an all-time high, unemployment.
4: So the, the pushback would be, we
3: really haven't taken any pain at all. About it? So the farmers got
4: 36 billion. billion. The auto guys have the steel haven't got. It. Well, like, there's plenty of people who have it and prices are going to go up as long as the tariffs stick around. Right. So And we don't know how
5: high, we don't know what the GDP would have been or if not but, would have If been. not for this headwind. CapEx
4: has been anemic. I mean, yeah. I don't know, it's all out there all the right. data.
1: Uh, we'll bring you any more developments as we have them. meantime coming up. Peloton set the price at any moment this during a week where the IPO buzz is Round to a halt will bring you the very latest, plus KB Home. Just-reported results will break down the numbers. And later, one technician says today's bank bounce is here to stay. He'll tell us what is in the charts. Real Live from Times Square in New York City, much more Fast Money right after this.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on KB Home, the home builder in the red, but off the after-hours session lows. Let's get to Diana Olick in Washington, D.C. with the latest. Diana.
7: Well, Melissa, it was a strong beat on earnings as demand for newly built homes really jumped over the summer. Slight miss on revenue, though, but KB stock ended higher after analyst Buck Hornet, Raymond James, upgraded it to outperform today. KB reported a 24 percent jump in new orders, and its backlog rose 14 percent to 6,230 homes. Its average selling price fell 7 percent, but that was due to a community mix shift in the West. KB CEO Jeff Metzger said the company was able to raise prices in 90 percent of its communities, thanks to strong demand. The cancellation rate also improved to 20% from 26%. Metzger said the company is on track for a strong finish to 2019, especially given its position in the market as catering to the first-time buyer.
8: Market conditions remain favorable, supported by low mortgage interest rates, steady economic growth, high consumer confidence, and positive demographic trends. While demand is healthy, Supply continues to be insufficient to meet homebuyers' needs, particularly at the affordable price points where we operate, which is a key element of our success.
7: Now, we also got the numbers on new home sales in August this morning, and they were much stronger than expected, up both for the month and 18 percent higher than August of last year. Supplies of newly built homes are now lower annually for the first time this year. Demand clearly bolstered by falling mortgage rates. They came down all summer, but most sharply in August. And that brought buyers out. Rates have turned slightly higher again this month. But analysts I spoke to would say so far it's not enough to short, to uh, dampen this new demand. Back to you guys. All right, Diana, thank you,
1: Diana Oleg. We should keep in mind on the back of those new home sales numbers, we had strong performances in these home builders. KB Homes actually up by about 3%, so this decline in the after hour session is really not too bad, especially for a stock that's up 70% this year. It's a
3: huge move. And this is $20 stock, it seems, a couple of weeks ago. It's up, where's it close? At 335 or so. But you want to sort of poke some holes, I'll play the game with you. Cancellation rate was twenty percent this quarter. It was fifteen percent last quarter. Average closing price was lower than expected. So there are things to be concerned about. People, the bulls will point to valuation correctly and say, it ten times forward, it's cheap, and they probably have about a thirteen percent EPS growth rate, which is obviously very good. The question is, is it too much too fast? And there, are, you know, there's some storm clouds coming over for the home builders. Mm-hmm. Personally, I'd be inclined to take profits in this name.
5: I mean, we did see
1: Consumer Confidence weaken.
5: Yes, that was just that one data point, though. One other thing <laughs> about the numbers that came out today, the prior month was revised meaningfully higher as well. So that's interesting to me. I think even with the run that it's had, remember, it had a terrible drop at the end of last year. I think that the whole space, they all moved together. But I think the whole space is still inexpensive. And this has been a multi-year change that I don't think has been reflected in this space and I think, and rates keep getting just lower and lower. So I like the space. And I, I like, well, Lenar is one I know you like. I
6: do. I, I presently am in toll, and I'm in another one, Tripoint, but but only in call options because of the run that they've had, Mel. I mean, I think this is the great opportunity. We talk about how do you play volatility. Well, this is another way to play it. I'm not buying stocks after they've made 50, 60, 70, 80% moves to the upside. I'll certainly buy the upside calls, though, and I think that's been a good strategy. When you look at the numbers that these guys are putting out and still where they're trading, to your point, Guy they're still fairly inexpensive. You're getting dividend yields out of some of these as well. So there is reason to understand why a lot of people are still looking to the upside. Raymond James had a huge upgrade today yes. across that whole sector.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just interesting. So the number that we got year over year, interest rates were much higher last year. And we're obviously seeing it's just a function. I, 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 I do think rate. that yeah, obviously the lower rates, but um, you know that supply d- d- demand dynamic is something that is likely to continue to play out. I mean, right. there just seems to be not a whole heck of a lot of supply and the Plus, lower, yeah. longer rates right. stay right. lower.
5: And employment, right? employment right. just continues to
4: uh, one other point peter booklar front of a show here he had a, a note out this morning he was saying that the 713 um, uh, 100,000 which has really been the average That was the number in August. It's been the average for the last 25 years. I think that's pretty interesting in a way. So when you smooth out the the volatility that you've had over the last couple of years, it's not some excessive number. Year over year looks better
2: than it is.
1: All right, let's stick with rates here. Uh, Interesting action in the bond market today. We referenced this uh, at the top of the show. The 10-year yield back above 1.7% moves this week, capping off a roller coaster ride in bond land over the summer, of course. Yields tumbling to three-year lows in early September as trade worries kept investors on their toes. So what's next for the bond market? What do you make of this big bounce. I was yields. surprised. I mean,
3: 10-year, yeah. I think at one point, it was 164.5, 165. I mean, the moves in the bond, if you think about it just for a second, I mean, 10-year yields a couple weeks ago were 147, I think we topped. That's where we top tick in terms of the TLT, basically, low tick in terms of yields. I mean, that is a staggering move percentage-wise. Bond markets in a developed country like this shouldn't move that way. That's beside the point. I still think yields are going lower. I think the move back to 185 in the 10-year was sort of the retracement. And I do think we're headed back and going to retest that 145 level. But to answer your question, the reversal today was... Significant, surprised me. Yeah,
1: and in the banks, I mean, that's really nice move in some of these yeah. banks. We had some KRE huge upside huge. buying today
6: in city for instance. Mm-hmm. But J.P. Morgan was it an all-time high today? Uh, Not th- quite, really close. I mean, th- some of these names moving to the upside. Goldman Sachs, actually, when you look at the push from where it was to where it is now, Mel, you can understand a lot of the attractiveness that right now that people feel towards a lot of these banks.
1: All right, well, let's get more on the direction of rates and banks. Bring in Mark Newton uh, of Newton Advisors. He's over at the Plasma here to give us the charts. Uh, Mark.
0: Thanks, Melissa. Hi. You know, increasingly, you're starting to see more and more strength out of the banks, despite the fact that yields have actually gone lower for the last 10 months. So you take a look at the main bank ETF, the KBE, it's showing you a couple of different things. Prices have been largely range-bound over the last five months. However, they're starting to show increasing signs of strength just in the last few weeks, and we're testing these prior highs. Getting over that prior high would allow us to make a move right back up towards you know the prior peaks that we saw. So that's really the one thing to put in, into uh, into example. Uh, financial ETF, the XLF. This is something has shown a very decent longer-term base, just going back. Since that prior peak, and so despite the fact that yields have been falling, you've seen a decent amount of strength to move right up to test this prior level in XLF. So my thinking is, you know, it's likely that we're going to start to see increasing signs of of financials starting to rally despite the fact that yields are falling. Finally, this is what puts it all into perspective is the fact that on a relative basis, financials have actually been strengthening despite the fact that yields have been falling. This is a relative chart of XLF versus the S&P. You see that we're starting to make higher and higher lows, even though we're still in a downtrend from last February. This is a time when yields largely started to peak out and started to fall. Of course, we peaked on or around last November and have been falling ever since in yield, but now you're starting to strengthen at a time when yields are still very much in a downtrend. We rallied about 10 basis points today in yields and in the 10-year and of course the yield curve has popped to about five basis points but uh in general this is a sector to really pay attention to it's not going to take much more you've already seen stocks like jpm hit new all-time highs citigroup and bank of america well-positioned and pete was talking about upside call buying and things like citigroup and so i think the sector is really starting to look a lot more interesting at a time when you know everybody's been talking for years about okay the financials are in good shape structurally But now, finally, you're starting to see, technically, at least a few signs of this group finally starting to to work.
1: Mark, I'm curious, because um, if you take a look at that chart, for instance, that September lowest low... Uh, coincides with where we saw the, the lows for yields effectively, right? And so right. If financials have really been dependent on where spreads go and where yields go. So when you take a look at the chart of spreads or the chart of the 10-year yield, for instance, right. does it follow typical technical patterns? I mean, can you actually analyze it technically with, with great, as much accuracy as another chart when so many people are saying that there are so many other external factors, you know, dictating the direction of yields?
0: I think you 're right, I mean I think the yield curve is probably a little bit better something to concentrate on versus just the ten year itself, because, as you know I noted you know yields have been actually falling since last November, and yet we 've seen actually a decent amount of strength in the xLF and of course, a lot of that 's berkshire, uh, you know Wells Fargo city Bank of america the, the big boys, but yet you know the sector has managed to strengthen on an absolute basis and looks in far better shape than it should, given the fact that yields have just been Really falling pretty dramatically. So my thinking is, you know, yields likely are going to bottom around 2016 or even 2012 lows, and you know that's right around 131 to 136 mm-hmm. or so. And you know it's tough to make too much of, of this bounce today, uh, 163 to 173 now. But you know I, I think that in general it's it should be a level that yields start to stabilize. And if that's the case, and uh, you know the U.S. is still growing faster than a lot of the world, and and if yields start to turn higher, then uh, that should be a, a decent sign for the XLF and with regards to the yield curve as well.
1: All right. Mark, thank you. Mark Newton of Newton Advisors had a bunch of bank bulls comment to the right of me. So, Dan, I'll ask Um, you what you think. Well,
2: (laughs) I would
4: just say there's only one bank right now. It's J.P. Morgan. The the investment banks are down 25 percent from their 2018 highs. That's Morgan Stanley. That's Goldman Sachs. You have Bank America and you have Citi, each down about 12 percent from their highs. I see what he's saying in relative strength. I want to make one point what you made, Karen, earlier in the show. When Trump's back is up against the wall, he goes back to his greatest hits. One of his greatest hits is is calling for lower rates and as trump gets in more trouble if this situation mushrooms a little bit that means senator warren rises in the polls a double negative for rates a double negative for banks like what i'm saying is so i don't really see it as a great setup if you want to own a bank own jp morgan because they got your guy
5: lower under warren i think they'll go higher
4: Banks under Warren.
5: I think not the banks. Rates. Rates. Rates.
4: From here until there, rates go lower because Trump's going to keep hitting him. From here, as Warren rises, banks go lower because Warren's going to keep hitting him.
5: Because
1: of the fear of regulatory I
5: pressures. Think I get that. I know obviously the yield curve is really important to banks, but I think what's been happening is, as the rotation out of momentum towards value. Mm-hmm. This sector is really a value play, even having moved a lot. Bye. J.P. Morgan still at 11, 12 times earnings. That's not crazy. All right, coming up, chip stocks ripping
1: higher this month, and options traders say there is one name in the space that's gearing up for an even bigger semi-surge. Plus, the jewel CEO stepping down, and one big tobacco deal in Ashes will lay out what is next for the tobacco stocks. Much more Fast Money straight ahead.
9: What does it mean to be rich? Is it
1: having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? Welcome back to Fast Money. Big news in the tobacco world. Juul CEO Kevin Burns is stepping down. This comes as the company faces growing scrutiny over its role in a public health crisis that has seen at least nine vaping-related deaths, ten as of the latest count here. A news of his departure coming as a big tobacco deal goes up in smoke. Altria, which has a big stake in Jewel, 35 percent, and Philip Morris ending merger talks. The deal would have created a $200 billion tobacco giant. Altria's CEO spoke to CNBC earlier today about the called off merger.
4: We are always
3: looking for opportunities to strengthen our position and uh, ultimately we thought it was worth a discussion with with Philip Morris International about whether there was an opportunity to merge. Ultimately we couldn't come to terms and so we're back focused on our very strong position in the U.S. market.
1: So clearly a lot of developments uh, today. Pete, what's your take? You know, I've I, I got to tell you something. I,
6: I think there's so much regulatory issues that are going to be facing these guys for a while now that I, I think it's almost like a hands-off. Now, I own some calls to the upside right now in Altria just because people had been buying these, expecting something very positive out of this deal. Obviously, we're not seeing it. It's not a big reaction, at least in that side of things. So I think those are going to probably end up going out worthless. They had a little bit of a move early, but now they've gone away. I think there's just so much to this whole thing, and everybody's a part of this. It's the president on down. And everybody seems to be getting more and more negative. And we talked in the green room. Does this start to affect any of the other, you know, side areas, like in the marijuana world and some of the rest of that? How much is going to be affected here?
5: Right. Karen? Yeah. No, I was wondering about that. Is this what's part of you are the pot queen? You are uh, the pot queen. I meant to say uh, that. Is this some of what is is being, you the know, uncertainty. Po- the uncertainty, right, of the bear case in the in cannabis world. I think that if there
1: are questions about vaping and there are crackdowns on vaping, uh, then that is going to be an area of business that that might be sort of delayed or or stunted, at least for now, until until there's more clarity on what exactly is behind all of these deaths. So I I do, you know, that could certainly
5: contribute to this whole thing. Um, Yeah, I would think it would. I was surprised, though, that PM was up on this news. I would have thought that this would have been a dead in the water deal from last week. I don't know uh, I guess I don't know. Maybe people still believed it might happen. I, I was surprised that Altria mm. wasn't down more, more right. on the day because of that Altria felt finished, like it
1: didn't finish yeah. the highs of the session. Like yeah. They
5: knew it was going to break, and the PM shareholders didn't. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Which, How is that which can be
3: deemed encouraging. I mean, but this stock, this stock's been cut in half now in three right. years, effectively. When the stock market's at all-time highs, so people say valuation. I don't see any compelling. Re- and we've, this is not. We're saying it just tonight. We've been saying it for a while. I don't really see any compelling reason to buy it. Now, with that said, this is ripe for a Nelson Peltz to sort of get his arms around or a Carl Icahn type. I mean, this would be a trophy for them in a major way. So what you could see an activist. Do? I what have, if you have open no idea. Playbook, if you open but
1: their playbook, there aren't businesses so Should to they buy sell? cannabis? Should they buy vape? What this are they going to do? These guys are so
3: desperate. I'm just throwing it out there. It wouldn't be surprising. Let's put it that way. But I don't know what no. they would do.
5: I'd be surprised.
3: You'd be surprised. I would. I'd also I would, you. You would your. I don't
5: know what you're fi- you know. You're I facing so too. many hurdles. It,
3: your, a name, it would be a at, a at a
1: ridiculous There are discount. no easy fixes since declining no tobacco, easy fixes. tobacco business. That's fair. Uh, for more on this tobacco deal breakdown, be sure to tune in to Squawk on the Street's exclusive interview with the Philip Morris CEO. That is tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern time. Coming up, Peloton sets a price its IPO any moment now. This during a week where the IPO buzz has ground to a halt. We'll bring you the very latest. Plus, check out the chip stock, up more than 65% this year. And option traders are betting on an even bigger breakout ahead. We'll tell you the name. Don't go anywhere. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're just moments away from Peloton's IPO pricing. Let's get to Dom Chu in the
9: newsroom for more on what to expect, Dom. Waiting with bated breath, almost like I've been on a Peloton bike myself, guys. So here's what we do know so far. We've got 40 million shares being sold by the company in Class A shares. They've got a dual-class share structure. The current announced range right now, $26 to $29 per share. There's an underwriter option to sell an additional 6 million shares, so call that 43 million shares. If they sell all of those, they're looking to raise just about $1.2 to $1.3 billion. That could value the company. At between, say, 7.7 and $8.3 billion, depending on how many shares are sold, what that price is at the midpoint, and then how many shares they actually have outstanding, given the fully diluted or non-fully diluted. Basically, it depends on how you calculate it. There are a lot of assumptions that go into it. Now, remember... This is another company with growing revenues. Yes, a lot of growing revenues, but they also have accelerating losses as well. Peloton is reporting about $915 million in revenues in the fiscal year that ended just in June. That's 110% higher versus the same time last year. But now losses are running at $245 million. That's five times what we saw in 2018. So what it comes down to is... This is one of the most highly anticipated IPOs out there, as our own Julia Borson has been reporting, Melissa and gang, the first of the 2019 CNBC Disruptor 50 class to go public. So a lot of anticipation for this big exercise, bike, and technology company, guys. We'll bring you the latest as soon as we know the pricing here. Melissa, I'll send things back over to you.
1: Thank you very much, Dom Chu. Dom Chu, who is back at headquarters.
9: HQ. Um,
1: waiting <laughs> for the news to cross. And as it crosses, he will bring it to as us live. As, this almost works yes. as hard as
9: you do. It's yeah.
1: <laughs> man. Thank you, Dom. You got it, guys. Um, Peloton start to set to start trading tomorrow during a week where the hottest IPOs have crashed, even beyond me, going cold, tumbling double digits in that time. So can Peloton survive the IPO carnage. Do you get the Peloton business model?
5: Well, I have so I love Peloton. As do I. I, I (laughs) Two separate questions. All the time. I have more than one. I, You know, I, I have a hard time with the income statement, though. I have a hard time with the expenses. And, um, you know, they talk about the total addressable market. Uh, I don't know that that I'm not as optimistic on the total addressable market. Right. It's an expensive machine to buy. It's mm-hmm. an expensive machine to uh, to subscribe to. Obviously, that's a good part of their business. I think the treadmill maybe hasn't been. I don't know. I'm I'm not clear if the treadmill is really. um, Was as popular as the bike. Yes, was as popular as the bike. I love the product. I probably would not own the stock around this range.
1: Guy, you're also a Peloton user. And? And I'm going to give a shout out. I mean, Dennis
3: is my guy. Hannah Marie, Jenstrom, love them all. Oh, yeah. And I I get on that I like Allie
1: Love. Yeah. Yes.
3: I mean, some of those yeah. classes are ridiculous. Alex I mean, Tucson, he's
1: great. But to your
3: anyway. point, it's a $2,000 bike, a $5,000 treadmill. You pay $50 a month. You know, you have to ask yourself, what it's, is the addressable dollars market? $50 a month. I mean, in some ways, the addressable market is everybody on the planet. We all should be in shape, right? Right. But it ain't, it ain't going no. yeah, to happen. So I'm, I'm somewhat skeptical. With that said, the NASDAQ continues to do well on the listing front. I think they will be here mm. tomorrow. Nice. I think the way you play this is NDAQ,
4: and I've said that for a while. Yeah, it's interesting. We're getting to a point in this cycle where we're starting to see a lot of these companies come public that don't actually have public comps. They're kind of, you know, like beyond right. me, you just mentioned that yeah. one before. And people don't know how to do. So you have the scarcity value on something that sounds like a great idea. No one really knows how to value it versus comparables. Um so they can go ballistic. Um I suspect this one does well with investors because Every one of us on this desk owns them. We know the product, right? It's kind of like the,
6: what, the old Peter Lynch sort of thing. You know, and only um, 511,000 know the product, right? I mean, when you look at the numbers, the numbers don't add up. And the biggest problem I have is how are they going to make money? They're they're losing five times more money now than they were in two thousand eighteen that's a huge issue to me this feels like uber it feels you have like and to, to
5: grow pete that's you absolutely right, do but, but when they try to tell
6: us they're a media company yeah. and not an exercise company right that tells me a lot company. about the company
1: <laughs> we have an important disclosure to make here. cnbc parent co- a company comcast nbc universal is an investor in peloton alright up next chip stocks getting a boost today and options traders are betting one name in the space is about to rip even higher we'll break down all the action take a look at the Kramer cam Jim is talking with the CEO of Twilio. That full interview coming up at the top of the hour on Mad Money. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money Checkout. Shares of Western Digital catching a bit today. The data giant now at more than 11% in the last month. Options traders are betting on those gains rolling into next month, too. Mike Coe is right here in the studio wow. with the action. Hey, Mike.
8: Hey there, how are you? Okay, so uh, let's take a look at what was going on in Western uh, Digital today. We saw more than two times as many calls as puts trade. What was interesting, the activity I was seeing, was the October 11th weekly 62 calls. Now, why is this interesting? We do often see weekly calls trade, often the week prior to something that's going to go on. They're going to be reporting earnings on October 24th. So this is somebody who's making a bullish bet that we're going to see a rise in in Western Digital of 4% or more. Prior to earnings, and so I think that is pretty pretty notable. We could take a quick peek at the uh, chart and just take a look at what we're looking at here. So we're looking at getting above 62 bucks by at least the amount of premium that they spent, bearing in mind that they're expecting this to take place within the next two weeks, and we're probably going to see earnings right around here. So obviously they're eyeing some short-term moves. We also, by the way, saw some significant call activity in Juniper as well today.
1: All right, and Dan, you're watching uh, Micron.
8: Yes, uh, you know this is kind of
4: tied to the same trade uh, we talked about semis earlier in the show. Yeah. Huge intraday reversal. Micron reports tomorrow after the close, um, implying about three dollars seventy-five cent move or so in either direction. That's a pretty large move. So I think uh, so goes Micron, so goes the rest of the group near term.
1: All right, thanks for the action, Mike, in house <laughs> for more options action. Tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5:30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades.
9: Welcome back to Fast Money. I'm Dominic Chu. We've got some news on General Motors right now. CNBC has learned, according to two sources familiar with the negotiations, that the United Auto Workers Union and GM are close to a tentative agreement that could end the ongoing strike by the UAW against General Motors. The negotiators have been meeting all day. But progress is being made, so Melissa will keep an eye on those shares, bringing more as we know more on our side. Melissa, I'll send things back over to you.
1: Thank you, Tom Chu. Final trade time. Pete. Talk
9: about home builders,
6: KBH will get you done. KB Homes. Carewoman. Yeah, talk about home builders,
5: HD will get you done. Nice. Dan hey, Nathan. do like that
4: quick. Uh, XLF, shocker here. I'd be a seller. Really?
5: <laughs> I'm shocked. See.
3: Talked about home builders. <laughs> Yeah. Church and Dwight. He's got nothing to do with it. Church and Dwight. What's your favorite day? International business machines I make. Yes. IBM yeah. comes yeah. up Yeah, sure, it does. Yeah.
1: All right, we'll see you back here Stay tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money starts right now.